Let's open up ourselves to him right now. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. And God, it's true we want to be where you're at. But God, would you make this place your abode right now, God? God, would you visit with us tonight as we lay ourselves open to you, God? God, would you open our hearts up to receive what you want to say? Would you open our minds up to understand what you have to say, God? Would you, would you work with us with what we are, God? We know that we are finite and you're infinite, God. But Lord, we call upon you because we have no other God. There is none that we can run to besides you, God. God, you are where our help comes from, God. God, I just give you thanks for what you're going to speak, what you're going to do, and who you're going to minister to tonight, God. We love you and we thank you, Master. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being um, faithful to Wednesday night. Thank you for letting someone come hang out with you. Um, for the last several, several months, I've been hanging out with five, six, and seven-year-olds on Wednesday night, and um, if you have one that's in there, you got some sweet kids, let me tell you. Uh, kind of a somber, solemn day for Tuscaloosa, isn't it? Yeah. Um, 252 people statewide five years ago tonight. 62 tornadoes through the state. Uh, this time, five years ago, probably most of us were sitting around with no power, wondering if our family, if our friends were okay. Uh, I know that the telephone lines, we had people from Missouri calling and wanting to know what was going on, if we were safe. Uh, thank the Lord that social media had been around and we could keep in contact with people. But it was trying for a city, wasn't it? Well, happy Wednesday, everybody. Uh, I wondered how many tonight would show up wearing glasses. I want to talk to you tonight about um, myopathy, myopic faith. Um, so I just, as I'm looking around, I see several pairs of glasses. Who, who has contacts? Who's willing to admit? Who, who's not vain enough? I, mean, I think it's funny whenever you see these teenagers that come and they've got like totally weird looking eyes. Well, that's my natural eyes, you know. No, it's not. No, it's not. For the most part, I've been blessed with good eyes over the years. There was a time in my life that um, whenever I would sit in front of a computer for hours and hours upon end, I had to get a very low-grade prescription, and then the discomfort of the glasses was not worth the fuzziness that I had to endure, so I just, I'll look at the computer screen while it's fuzzy. But uh, the older I get, and I don't know if anybody else falls in this category, but the older I get, it seems like my arms are not long enough for what I want to read. Um, you ever had your child run and jump up in your lap and say, look, look, look at what I did, and they just shove it right here in your face? My kids have an artistic flair at times, and, and uh, they're always creating something, doing something, drawing something, writing something. If you follow on Facebook, you'll see the little notes that Madeline and Tucker put throughout the house, and 
they'll, um, they, they're very commonly writing stuff and they'll just jump right on you and have it right here and you have to get your go-go gadget arms to work, you know, so you can figure out what's going on. But, um, you know, I've got to say, and I've probably said this before, but my children have taught me more about my Heavenly Father than any expensive education at any seminary could have. It's, uh, man, <laughs> what he goes through with us, <laughs> it's just amazing. But, um, so I don't want to talk to you tonight about um, what they call hyperopia, or hyperopia, however you want to say it. Um, that is somebody who can see long distances. I want to talk to you tonight for just a few minutes, and, and, and what I've got tonight um, is just some gathered thoughts. It's, it's not homiletically sound, probably. It doesn't, it doesn't meet a, a format, but, you know, as, as soon as Pastor Lynn talked to me and said, hey, will you fill in, I, I, I thought, yeah, I'll do that. Um, and it wasn't within an hour or so. I, I, this was really kind of on my heart anyway, so I, I wanted to speak a little bit about this tonight. And speaking of myopia, I'm wishing now that I would have put my font about two sizes bigger. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, I've not been able to be at church for about two weeks and um, the last message that I heard Pastor preach was about, it was on a Sunday morning, and he went in and talked about Irenaeus and Athanasius, and guys, I'm telling you, you cannot go to very many Pentecostal pulpits and hear and learn what you were getting that night. I mean, that's, that's just amazing. But uh, that was the last time that I heard Pastor. I tried to catch a podcast from last Wednesday night, but... Um, it, at work, it, it's been crazy for a couple weeks, and I just wasn't able to hear it. But I heard that he was talking about a five-year plan last week, and um, you know that's kind of the antithesis about what I'm going to talk about tonight. Because people, t uh, what I want to talk about is people that only see short distances. They 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 see the temporary, they see the the temporal. Um, I want to spend a few moments now talking about myopia. So I went to. Uh, as as uh, Davin says, Davin Lewis here with us, he, he says, consult the oracle. So what I did is I consulted the oracle called WebMD, and um, I, I looked up myopia, and this was the definition that it gave. It said, people who have myopia or nearsightedness have difficulty seeing distant objects and signs, but can clearly see objects that are near. In nearsighted people, the eyeball is too long or the cornea has too much curvature, so the light entering the eye is not focused correctly. Nearsightedness runs in families and usually appears in childhood. Glasses, contact lenses, or refractive surgery can correct nearsightedness. So what I took away from that definition is, number one, nearsightedness will not let you see distant objects, and you can only see things that are near, and number two, Nearsightedness cannot focus light correctly. Um, does this seem to have a spiritual connotation? I mean, if we don't, the, the, the scripture says that the eye takes in the light, and, and um, I, I wish I would have read that scripture so I would have it on the tip of my tongue, but talks about the light and the light uh, being the, the light of men. That, that's not where I'm trying to go. But anyway, um, in scripture, you'll see about the eye and the light. There's a, there's a reference there, and, and I'll have to find it later on for you. If you want to know, you can email me or something. We'll get it back to you. 
But um, all one has to do these days to see a blatant display of spiritual myopia is get on Facebook for 20 minutes. Look at your Facebook feed for 20 minutes and see the people that complain and, and, and grumble about the fact that their life is not this, it's not that. I've got the worst set of circumstances that anybody could ever have because I don't have this and I don't have that. If you don't think that that's a, a good example, then I encourage you, or maybe I should say I discourage you, but I encourage you, if you want to see a good example of, of spiritual myopia, turn on your Christian television station at any time throughout the day and listen to how the precious gospel that was given to us and that was built on a bloody cross, an empty grave, and the persecution of the early saints, how they have taken that and twisted that gospel and morphed it into something that is a self-serving and a get-me type of gospel. Go spend an hour walking through Barnes & Noble. Look at the book titles in the Christianity Spirituality section. If you was to invite the Apostle Paul to walk with you and he looked at the book titles, I wonder if he would even recognize the message that he staked his life for, for what's out there, or does it sound something more like what Simon the Sorcerer wrote? So what do you mean by myopic faith? What do you mean by myopic Christians, Paul? My working definition that I came up with was that myopic Christians would be one that tend to get caught up in the temporary, who have a blurred paradigm about things that really matter, or one that continually doubles down on their investments into things that are just temporary and passing away. Myopic Christians are those that cannot fathom the big picture that God gives us because the little picture blows their mind. They, they can't get beyond this little picture that we're in because the technicalities and the challenges that he gives us, they can't fathom beyond that. Myopic Christians are often those that go unchallenged. Myopic Christians are those who don't read or who feast on nothing but pop culture. They can quote John 3.16, but they can't quote John 3.17. They know the name of every TV preacher and what the name of his ministry is. Better, I better keep on going here. Um, unchallenged people. We all need challenges that stretch us. Myopic Christians will approach the framer of the universe, the one who made something out of nothing, and they will approach the framer of the universe with nothing more than a mere wish list. And that's all. Not to get to know him, not to touch his heart, but just to get, get, get. Ben Patterson, he's a, um, a, a college, there, there's a, a divinity school in, in, in uh California that I follow called Westmont, and he's the pastor of that um, very interesting school. But he wrote a book called Deepening Your Conversation with God, and he wrote in his book, he said, when we lose God's view of things, we lose perspective on everything else. 
Distinctions between the good, the better, and the best, even the good and evil, grow fuzzy. A myopic Christian, a myopic Christian is one who has a tendency to create a border within our tradition. I'm talking about Pentecostalism. In our circle, a myopic Christian can't fathom beyond outside that. Let me tell you, God's moving in a lot of denominations and a lot of movements out there. He's not confined to this box that we call Pentecost. But I like Pentecost. It's the best ship in the ocean right now. Anybody ever heard of R.C. Sproul? He's, he's written 100 plus books. Uh, R.C. Sproul wrote about this subject one time and he said, here in the West, he said, here in the West we have become immunized or inoculated against the deep things of God living our Christian lives on a superficial plane of churchiness and religiosity. He said, this type of Christianity absolutely will not do. It would be no surprise to me if we in a very short time will be looking to Africa, to, the Eastern, or to Eastern Europe and to Asia and to Latin America to discover the real power of the Christian gospel. The idea of having to have missionaries come to America should really make us sober. But I've met some. I've met Korean missionaries in Tuscaloosa. John the Apostle said in 1 John, he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. He says this, 1 John 2, 15 through 7. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for their father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Do you know how hard it is to walk this fine line? Because we live in a temporal arena. Everything that we do, day in and day out, we, we survive in this bubble that's temporary. And the Bible tells us that this isn't our permanent dwelling place, but we live in this temporary arena. We live in a society where the temporary and the eternal are both screaming and clamoring and clattering and making all kinds of noise trying to get your attention. It's kind of like, this is football country, so this is the best analogy that I could come up with. It's kind of like going to um, Wade, uh, 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 Davis Wade Stadium. I want to say Wade Davis, but Davis Wade Stadium while the cowbells are ringing. And every one of those cowbells is something trying to get your attention. And it's loud and it's disorienting. But everything is vying for your attention. And the question is, is who's going to get your attention? Is it going to be something that's temporary or is it going to be something that's eternal? Is it going to be something that's worth investing in? In the finance world, they say ROI. It stands for return on investment. There should be something called EROI, eternal reward on your investment. Where, where are you putting your time? Where are you putting your resources? Karen and I, right, um, wow, it's probably been 11 years ago. Um, we went to, um, we went on a cruise. That's where we went. I was trying to think. And while we was on the cruise, Jamaica was one of the stops. And, and Kara does not have any interest in ever going back to Jamaica. But they, they told us that whenever we were at Jamaica that these people are pushy. And uh, we're not used to that. 
You know, we, we operate at a different pace here in the States. Well, uh, we went to some waterfall, and our guide, she told us, she said, look, when we come out of this waterfall, there's a market that you have to walk through, and these people are aggressive. If you don't want to buy something, do not take it in your hand. You know, a lot of these people, they, they don't have a whole lot. They may get a tree trunk and carve it out. They may get a gourd off the tree, paint it. You know, they, they do all sorts of stuff. They call me Moses. Hey, Moses, man. Hey, Moses, man. <laughs> Buy something pretty for the lady. You know, I mean, that's, that's what they were saying. But, um, hey, Moses, man. Hey, 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 man. Look what I do. And whenever we walked through that, that, that marketplace, we had all these vendors on both sides of us trying to shove stuff in our hands. That's exactly how this dynamic that God has us set up in. And the question is, who are you going to patronize? Are you going to patronize the temporary? Or are you going to patronize the eternal? i got to get over here and remember what I'm supposed to say. It's so easy. It's so easy to appease the temporary because we like the temporary fix. We like the initial gratification that we get out of going through the drive-thru. We got drive-thru faith. The temporary pays an immediate dividend, but you don't get to see what you're investing in on the eternal until later on. I don't want to spend a a lot more time talking about this, because I think everybody understands where I'm going with this. Uh, this is the Wednesday night crowd. This isn't something that I need to yell at you about. Sorry. I'm, I'm excited tonight. Um, I don't get to talk like this to the six-year-olds. So, Madeline and Tucker don't like it, you know, so. Um, but you know, there, there's examples of, of um, myopic faith in the Bible. I mean, uh, we, we have um, Esau. He, he traded his birthright for something quick. You've got uh, Achan, Achan's sin in Joshua. Achan wanted something quick. Saul, Saul went in and did the sacrifice. That was something quick. You got Ananias and Sapphira. That's something quick. It's a quick fix. Uh, there's dozens of examples. I didn't write any of them down. I probably should have. But there's dozens of examples. Uh, just a few examples of how we as believers can be myopic in our walk. But this just scratches the tip of the tip, okay? We can, I'm going to give you several examples here. I don't know, maybe a note taker, you may not. But I'm going to give you several examples and some, some scripture references. We can be nearsighted in our faith whenever we fail to study the Bible, 2 Timothy 2.15. We exemplify nearsightedness whenever we neglect the assembly of the saints. Do you know that, I think I've preached about this before, but I need you, and whether you want me or not, you need me. We need each other. Paul goes, on, not Paul, uh, Paul goes on and writes, says, we're a body. In fact, that's one of my, my scripture references. We are nearsighted whenever we see faults in others instead of our own faults. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. We are nearsighted whenever we return evil for evil. Romans 12, 17 through 21. Matthew 6, 14 through 15. We are nearsighted whenever we don't love our brethren. Our brethren, sorry. 
but we don't love our brethren. 1 John 2.11. We are nearsighted if we think too much of ourselves. Because, back to what I was saying, the example that Paul gives in Romans 12 is he talks about a body. And he says, can the hand say to this? Can the ear say to this? I heard a pastor, I had a youth pastor one time, and he said, every physical body has an armpit. And said, nobody wants to be the armpit, but I don't want to be without an armpit. Sometimes we've got armpits in the assembly, the congregation, not the assembly. I guess we do. Maybe I'm the armpit. Sometimes I smell like an armpit. But anyway. We can't think too highly of ourselves because we're not important than our neighbor. We all have a purpose. We can be nearsighted if we have interest centered on worldly things. 1 John 2, 15 through 7. I already read that about you can't love the world. And the last example that I've got here is can be nearsighted when we backslide, 1 Timothy 1, 15. So I want to switch gears here momentarily and not talk about the people who didn't get it. Not talk about, I don't want to be somebody that points out a problem and doesn't show a solution, Okay. I want to talk to you about somebody who got it, not only got it, but they got it right. And they got it, and they they made a difference with every ounce of energy that they had, and that's the Apostle Paul. I love the Apostle Paul. I love the book of Corinthians, the whole Corinthian thing. I could just go on and on and on about the Corinthians. Um, But the Apostle Paul, the context of his life, most scholars believe that the Apostle Paul was born between five and 10 AD. That's about where they've narrowed it down, different views on stuff, but that's about what they say. There's some very liberal scholars out there that think that Paul actually met Jesus. I don't think that. I don't think Pastor Lynn thinks that. But the Apostle Paul, best we can tell, died sometime between 54 in 68 AD. So let's say that is um, anywhere from 44 to 58, some people say 60 some years old whenever he pawed, or whenever he died. Uh, he, he, he was killed by Nero. Sometime right after the death of Jesus, shortly after the death of Jesus, that's when the Apostle Paul had his experience and his conversion experience, or his experience of conversion. So the Apostle Paul spent somewhere from 25 to 30 years of ministry dedicated to the Lord. Now, I want you to understand that the Apostle Paul did not have a glamorous ministry. Pastors, people in ministry can go to a thing called churchstaffing.com. They can look on uh, church jobs websites Uh, all sorts of things like that. If the Apostle Paul wrote out what his job description had been, nobody would apply for that job because it was horrible in our understanding. He didn't have his name in lights. He did not have his name on a marquee anywhere. He was not widely accepted or liked. The Apostle Paul didn't have a publishing deal where they guaranteed him a million dollars to write a book, whether he had a fresh word from God or not. 
The Apostle Paul didn't have some slick TV show with an editing department that could edit and only give you your good sides and your, your good clips. He didn't have any of that. The Apostle Paul's ministry was marked with suffering from the day of his inception into the ministry. The Apostle Paul suffered until his head rolled off the chopping block into a basket. He didn't get a... He, the Apostle Paul didn't get to retire. He, he didn't get to spend his twilight years golfing or fishing or maybe building tents for fun because he thought that that was fun. I don't know. But... In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is where the text is going to come from. Sorry, it took a long time to get to that, didn't it? And we're almost done, so. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. I wish that I had time because back in, in verse 7 it talks about we have this treasure in earthly vessels, and that's just... There's so much in, in, in these nine verses here that I would love to go on, but I, that's not where I'm going right now. Verse 13, um, we're going to start there because I wanted to start at 16, but then there is a therefore on 16. You can't start with a therefore because you've got to know what the therefore is there for. So let's go back to verse 13. You've got to take things in context, okay? You, you, cannot, you cannot read pull something out, and say, that's mine. It would be great if you could, and God may give you a scripture to stand on, but that was written to someone for a reason. Learn the context and then let God deal with you. Verse 13, sorry. Verse 13, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. That's a reference to Psalm 116.10, okay? It is written... I believed, therefore I have spoken, since we have that same spirit, or some translations will say, given the same spirit, since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Now, put a finger there. What he's talking about here, if you go back earlier in this chapter, I don't want to get into this whole chapter, but he talks about how we're pressed, but we're not crushed. We're persecuted, we're not abandoned. We're struck down, we're not destroyed. So what the Apostle Paul is coming to here, through this part, he's talking about the plight that they have suffered so far, and how even if they did die, the Lord would raise them back up. So, verse 15. All of this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, here's another therefore, we do not lose heart. Some of your translations will say, we faint not. We don't lose the faith. We faint not. We don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That word wasting away there, 
take your favorite coat, put it in the closet at the end, at the beginning of spring, come back in November to pull the thing out, and moths have gotten to it, and it's ruined and it's destroyed. That's the Greek. That's, that's what this is talking about here. We are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day, for day, day by day. Look at verse 17. This is the whole linchpin of this whole thing here. It says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving us for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is, on, what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Does that make sense? See what I can't see? That makes no sense at all to me. It's a, it's a paradox. But I read what the Apostle Paul writes here, and I've just got to shake my hand and say, man, when they threw rocks at you, they hit you in the head too hard. I mean, that makes no sense. It's like funny math. It just doesn't add up to me, you know. But this guy must have known something that you and I don't know. How could you call what Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas had endured light and momentary? I mean, we get in a disagreement on Facebook with someone and we think we're being persecuted. We think that the world's out to get us just because they don't agree with us. We get called a name at work because we're a Christian, and we go sing the song of the martyrs. I mean, but he calls his troubles up to this point light and momentary. What are some of these light and momentary afflictions that he suffered at this point? But leave your finger there. Flip over to 2 Corinthians 11. Here again, I love Corinthians, and Paul is, at this point in the scripture... Pastor talked about this. Pastor talked about this on that, that, uh, that Sunday. He talked about how the Gnostic people were creeping into the church with bad doctrine. You had not only the Gnostics, you had the Docetism, you had the, the Valentinians, you had, you had all these different people. You, you thought all there was was Baptism and Methodism and Presbyterianism. There was all these isms in the church prior to that, okay? They... they and the Apostle Paul, they all had horrible doctrine. They were saying things like, Jesus didn't have a physical body. That he was just an ethereal, ethereal um, uh, apparition that, that seemed real. They, they were saying stuff like, um, the physical that we have, uh, you know, because we, we all have a physical body, uh, that, that's no good. It, that, I think that's what Pastor talked about. Um, they had people that denied the Trinity. Um, they, they had just all sorts of things that were going on. And Paul is thrust into that because these other movements, the people that started these ideas that were in, in, introducing bad doctrine into the churches that he built, then the church that he built starts questioning Paul's apostleship because there were these people, and, and, and the apostle Paul, if you read through this, you got to realize that there is some scathing sarcasm in what Paul's writing here. But he talks about super apostles. So we pick up at verse 23, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. In, in the first part of this scripture, he's referring to those people, okay? He says, are they servants of Christ? 
He says, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. He says, they're servants of Christ. I am more. I have worked much harder. Here's some of these, here's some of these afflictions that he's endured, okay? That, that, more than just a disagreement on Facebook. He says, I have worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent the night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and I have known thirst and I have often gone without food. I have been cold. I have been naked. Besides everything else I face, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And friends, that is what the Apostle Paul calls light and momentary. This man had laser beam focus, apparently. This man had a focus that wasn't blurred by what was going on around him because he knows the bigger picture that there is. This man doesn't suffer from myopia like what we're talking about. I, I was just thinking at, at, at a table this afternoon and I thought, how many times could the Apostle Paul have escaped the affliction and the suffering if he would have just took a softer stance? How many times could he have escaped it all if he would have just given in? How many times if he would have just placated to the crowd? What about if he would have just acclimated to a shallow theology? What about if he would have just focused less on Jesus and more on contemporary social issues, social justice? But instead... He rejoices in the fact that he can identify with the sufferings of Christ. Time after time after time, we read where Paul was on the run. He was threatened and he was beaten. And the more that that took place, Paul wore that like a badge of honor. You know, these other apostles that he was talking about in, in, in um, uh, verse, or, uh, chapter 11... Talks about how there's, they're, you know, there's signs and wonders and all that, and that's what makes them an apostle. And, and Paul says, you know what? I have crazy visions, and, 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 and um, it starts out in, in chapter 12. He talks about the revelations from the Lord. I have exceeding revelations from the Lord. I have those things, but what Paul wanted to identify with was the sufferings of the Messiah. And he wasn't concerned about the here and now. He wasn't concerned about making a name or an image for himself. He was only concerned about one thing, and that one thing was making Jesus famous. He wasn't concerned about the style of his message. He was concerned about the substance, and he was concerned about the effectiveness of his message. And somehow, 
he was able to see beyond the grave and see something greater than you and I see right now. He saw a glory that was so spectacular that God would give him that it made what the temporary, it made it look like cheap gold paint on a rusted chair is what it looked like. He saw something so magnificent down the road that that's what he wanted to invest in regardless of what the here and now threw at him, whether it was rocks, whether it was criticism, whether it was uh, uh, threats of death. And he knew that when weighed against the eternal, that the temporary was just a cheap imitation. That the temporary was like going to the pantry and picking up a Cracker Jack box and getting the thing out of the Cracker Jack box whenever you can go to the bank and you can get a, a check to pay for whatever you want or whatever you need. It was cheap is what I'm trying to say. But Paul focused back to myopia. He focused on what was unseen. His vision had been corrected by Jesus. So let me ask you this as, as I'm, I'm winding up here, okay? If there was a way that we could go and take inventory of our life and compartmentalize everything and, and, and get all of our ducks in a row and in an order, and there was a way for us to itemize the things that we have invested our time, our energy, our resources, and our emotions in, what would the outcome look like? If you was to put it in a spreadsheet, my wife has spreadsheets galore. She loves that, and I, I don't understand it. It looks like some sort of Russian to me whenever I try to read it. But what would it look like if we could itemize our life and our investments, our, 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 and when I say investments, I'm not talking about money, I'm talking about what we spend our time with. Our, would it show that we're more concerned with the temporary or are we more concerned with the eternal? That's the question that I want to leave you with. But I want to go back and touch on something that is kind of not related to that, still in the same text. But, you know, the, the, more, I, the more I read about this, um, verse 17, something just jumped out at me. Um, 2 Corinthians 4. In verse 17, um, says, for our light and momentary troubles are, what? Achieving. The, the NIV says achieving. The King James says working. English Standard Version says preparing. And the New Living Translation says producing. They're producing. That's a Greek word that is kater agazomai or something close to that, okay? Yeah. Igpe etenle, I, I don't know. But this word means to perform, to accomplish, to achieve, to work out, to do something from which um, things result in, to, to bring about, to result in, to fashion, to render... Um, fit for a thing, to work fully, to finish, to deed, and to perform. So I want you to understand something, that um, anytime the believer is subject to affliction, 
It is not meaningless. It is not pointless. It is totally meaningful. And that's a controversial statement whenever I say that because there is so much insane suffering in the world. And every time something happens that's horrific, some commentator goes on TV and says, pointless, meaningless, just pointless and meaningless. And people will tell you that. And that is not necessarily so. You may not be able to see it, but it is not pointless. It may look that way, but it's not. And whether you're talking about um, our brothers and sisters that were in South Carolina, Wednesday night service, praying, somebody comes in, opens fire on them. Or whether we're talking about the Coptic Christians lined up, put on record, heads chopped off. Whether we're talking about people that are just simply running a marathon. If anyone comes to you and tells you that a believer's uh, suffering is meaningless, regardless whether it's cancer, whether it's criticism, whether it's um, uh, sickness, slander, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to say that that affliction was doing something for you. And what were those things? Performing, accomplishing, achieving, working out, bring about, to result in, to fashion, to render fit, to work fully, to finish, to deed, to perform. You either accept it by faith or you lose heart. Tonight, I want to ask you two questions. Have you lost heart or do you see it? Do you get it? Do you get it that there's more than this temporary, this temporal surrounding? This is the Wednesday night crowd. Of course you get it. You guys are the best of the best. I mean, you're the cream that rises to the top. Even through the yawns. I see every one of them. And I'm trying not to yawn myself. No, do we get it though? I know, I know we've got to, there, there's times that we all face wanting to give in to the temporary. And I just want to challenge you tonight. Fight on, brothers. Fight on, sisters. Don't give in. Stay strong. Run the race. No matter what they say to you, no matter what they call you, he's doing something while you're being afflicted. He's building something bigger than what you can see. He's doing things in realms that you don't know about. Heavenly Father, we love you and God.